Well, it's great to see you all again uh, today, and uh, I'm glad that uh, Lewis mentioned that about uh, Mark saying that they uh, miss y'all and are looking forward to being back with you next week because I got the same text message and I want to reiterate that. So, uh, boy, you really, that is going to be kind of hard to see, isn't it? The reason I did this is because uh, misspelled words will not show up as easy on this. I was going to do something a little bit different. Uh, is there a way to kind of focus this maybe? Or is it just my eyes? Okay, well, you'll read, your, you'll read it on your paper on that first page, and then we'll get to the second page. What I wanted to do today is I wanted to... Um, I, I got this little idea whenever I was actually studying this passage. And as I was studying it, and I was doing the notes and so forth for it, I thought, well, you know what? I just can't duplicate that on PowerPoint and I just wanted to see maybe if we could kind of follow along together the thought process in looking at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians that is in the first chapter and uh, because it's really a, a fantastic prayer because you know I don't know about you but prayer is one of the biggest challenges for me you know I'm a doer and sometimes what I have a tendency to do is I'll pray about something, but in reality, I'm already praying that God will bless something that I already had in mind and I wanted to do anyway. And, and prayer takes discipline. And, and, and prayer takes thought. And it takes work. And that's why it's one of the most challenging of the disciplines. But you know, as you can see, as I kind of wrote in the, the, the little narrative, the first part of the, the paper there, that Jesus obviously considered prayer important and vital and as as you go through time and time again he would when, when the the apostles were not able to cast out the demons out of a boy he'd say you know what you these things are only accomplished through prayer in in two of the synoptic gospels he said prayer and fasting uh but 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 he said prayer prayer was always central if you wanted to accomplish anything that was going to be uh, of any spiritual significance Whenever he went into the temple, remember when he went into the temple and, and he turned over the tables and he had the, the whip and he was uh, throwing the money changers out of there. He said, you know, you've, you've turned this, my father's house into a den of robbers, but this was intended to be a house of prayer. Interesting, uh, Jim Cimbala in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire from several years ago, one of the most uh, uh, um, uh, penetrating thing for me, most convicting things that he said, he said that notice the Lord said that my house will be a house of prayer not preaching and 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 a lot of when you think about a lot of what we do in fact what i'm doing right now is talking we do a lot of talking in the church but yet jesus said that the 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 temple even the temple where the sacrifices were to take place and where all of the rituals were associated he said god's first intention would be that it would be a house of prayer a place of prayer so it was central to what jesus did he would go and spend all night praying it's interesting and and, and i'm going to say some things tonight uh, this morning that is not meant to belittle or put anybody uh, on the spot or make anyone feel well no it is supposed to make people feel bad i take that back no but no uh but there's gonna be some things i want to say that that i just really believe need to be said because we all have to take ownership of this it's not pointing the finger at anybody here uh, because as soon as you do, you've got to look at your own life. But like one of the, the most challenging things in the church, we know that the church is full of people who pray. There's no doubt. You all pray. We pray differing degrees, different ways and so forth. But you know, one, of the most ch one of the biggest challenges of the church every year is when they try to enlist prayer partners for the prayer ministry. Uh, intercessors. Uh, Lewis, over that. I mean, 
You know, when you think about a church our size, but on average we have, what, maybe 150 intercessors? You know, that is a time for us to not point the finger, not belittle anybody, not get mad, not get in a huffle, but just say, you know what? We have to admit that because this is a discipline that requires work and effort, that sometimes it's very easy to put aside and focus more on the things uh, that will interest us more or, or seem like we are, are busy doing the work, you know? Because after all, James tells us, don't not be just hearers of the word, but be doers. But we're really good doers. We do a lot. But one of the things that we, I think, we need to pray and ask God, because you know what, you can't muster up the desire to pray. We can hear all the sermons, even this lesson right here. If the Holy Spirit does not do a work in our hearts, if the Holy Spirit does not bring about a change in our lives, it doesn't last. Because you can't guilt somebody into doing something because it's not going to last. And we can't muster up and we can't pretend to be intense about something that we're really not intense about, that we're not really passionate about. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul, when he's praying uh, uh, for the Ephesians, uh, he's, saying, he's acknowledging that, that, that the Holy Spirit is central uh, to prayer. On, the, uh, on your, on your uh, paper, the first page, where I said uh, the second paragraph, Paul had much to say about prayer. He taught that the Holy Spirit is central to our prayer life. You see there in Romans uh, 8.26. The Holy Spirit is central to our prayer life. And so it's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit, just like it's a work of the Holy Spirit for salvation and redemption and anything else in our lives that's spiritually appraised. But I don't know about you, but sometimes people have said, uh, you know, pray for me. Or I have said, I'll be praying for you. How many have ever said that to someone? I'll be praying for you. Yeah. See some hands out there. I've said that. You think I, I mean, were we, do we have good intentions when we said that? You know, sometimes it's like part of our goodbye. You know, we're on our way out, the, the conversation's over. I'll see you later, I'll be praying for you. So what does that mean? Am I going to be praying for the rest of the day? Am I going to be praying once a day for the next month? You know, it's just kind of a catch-all phrase. And inevitably the person says, okay, thank you, great. But what do we really mean by that? You know what, it's sometimes kind of part of the goodbye. I'll be praying for you. Because as soon as we turn around and we're walking off, guess what? Our minds are already on other things. In fact, when somebody says, will you pray for me? We will sometimes agree to do that, but yet we haven't got a clue how to pray for them. Well, okay, yeah, sure. Be glad to. All right, hey, have a great day. I pray that their health is good. Lord, watch out, bless their family. It's kind of like the bless all the missionaries in the world. You know, it's kind of like non-specific. It's just kind of a catch-all. Boy, when we look here at how Paul tells the Ephesians how he's been praying for them, now that's a prayer. And so I want us to kind of look at this, and I want us to break it down. Now, uh, obviously, we're going to start in verse 15, looking at it and breaking it down. But, um, you know, he says a lot in the first 14 verses. He talks about the, uh, that, that uh, God has predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ in verse 5. He talks about redemption, verse 7. He talks about the forgiveness that we have for our trespasses in verse 7. We, he talks about an inheritance that we have in verse 11. 
He talks about the Holy Spirit being a seal or a pledge of that inheritance in, in verse 14. So Paul, is, he has said a lot in those first few verses. But, um, um, but then when he gets to verse 15, he starts telling the Ephesians specifically how he's been praying for them. And as I was doing this little study, I just thought, well, you know what, let's just kind of break this down and let's look at it uh, together uh, as, as we take each verse, verses 15 through 19. It's not too bad. So you should be able to see right on there. So let's start with verse, verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Look what he says right here. Having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Having heard about it. You see, Paul has been doing his research on the Ephesians. He's been finding out about them and he's been hearing about their faith. He's been hearing about their commitment. And, and, and as he's been talking about this predestination and this inheritance and the forgiveness that they have for their trespasses, he says, likewise, or for this reason too, I've heard of your faith in the Lord. So the very first thing that we see about Paul's uh, prayer is that it, it was an informed prayer. He was informed How much time do you take to find out about the people that you pray for? Or the people that regularly say, will you pray for me? How much time do you find out about their lives? You know, sometimes we say, uh, uh, you know, well, we have some prayer requests. And I'm not talking about, sometimes, you know, the, if we're not careful, you know, that becomes a, a point of just gossip. You know, hey, I just need to share a prayer request with you. Now, you know what that means. I want to share a prayer request with you. Well, don't share so much about it. Just pray for them. But, you know, when, when you find out about the first thing, well, you know, tell me, you don't have to get maybe into all the gory details and all, but how can I pray for you? And, and how much do you research and study the person or know about the person? How many questions do you ask? So somebody says, hey, pray for me, or I'll be praying for you, to ask specifically, how can I be praying for you? Now, the neat thing about this prayer right here that we have with Paul is that he gives us some very specific things that we can pray for all Christians for. And if we pray specifically uh, like Paul does for these Christians, that will cover a lot. That will cover a lot. You know, for instance, to pray for someone, say, you know, when you're praying for someone, say, Lord, I pray that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit. Think about that right there. I pray that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit. Think about how much that covers. Think about how, how many different subjects and topics that covers. If they're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what that means? If they're filled with the Holy Spirit, what's that going to say about their propensity to sin or their desire to sin? It's going to be diminished. Why? Because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So you're already praying. Say, I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Why? You don't have to say, Lord, I pray that you'll forgive them for their sins. Or I pray, you know, that they've got to come to the Lord on their own for that. Lord, uh, I, but I pray that you'll help them not to sin. Or I pray, Lord, that you'll diminish their desire to not want to want the things of the world and that sort of thing. What does it say about that very thing right there? About the desires for the things of the world. Maybe that are not sinful in and of themselves, but it's the, it's, it's, the, it's the craving of those things where it becomes sinful. If you pray, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit, that's going to speak and that's going to address their issue of struggling with sin and their temptation. 
that's going to address their issue uh, of, of craving uh, worldly things. That's going to cover issues as far as maybe their marriage relationship. Because you know what? People who are filled with the Holy Spirit are a whole lot nicer than those who are not. It goes a long way. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you'll change her stinky attitude so that it'll be easier for her husband to love her. You know, I do Lord, fill her with the Holy Spirit. Whew, covers it all, you know. Specific. But how much do we ask about the people uh, uh, about that? So the first thing that we see about the Apostle Paul is that he has been listening. He's been interested. He's been wanting to know about the Ephesians and he's been getting word. By the way, where is Paul writing this? From prison. This is one of the prison epistles. He's in house arrest, so he's, it's not like in the, some deep dungeon where he's chained to a wall or uh, so forth. But, but he's still, he's, he's incarcerated. He doesn't have his freedom. And what does he have time to do? To hear about the churches and to pray for them. And he's very specific in his prayer. Let's go on to verse 16. Do not cease giving thanks. We do not cease giving thanks for you. Do not cease giving thanks for you. First Timothy also uh, is another verse where he talks about praying without ceasing. We do not cease giving thanks for you. Notice that there's two very specific things about Paul's prayer that we see from the very beginning. Is another word, the first thing is it's constant. And number two, he's thankful. He's constant and thankful. We do not cease to give thanks for you. Thankfulness is absolutely key in our prayer to an effective prayer life in fact the scripture says the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes or availeth much now we talk about the righteousness that we have from christ that christ uh, christ lives within us we have that righteousness we have the righteousness where it is no longer held against us our sin and it's imputed righteousness from the father but the prayers of a man who's connected with christ accomplishes much that can be used generically too. the prayers of a woman the prayers of a child who's connected with christ but one of the key ingredients there is an attitude of thankfulness to be thankful to not always be begrudging to not be uh, 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 taking life for granted to be taking god's blessings for granted the other thing too about being thankful is it's hard to pray for someone that you don't like it's hard to pray for someone that you're not thankful for. There's not one single thing that I can think of that I'm thankful for that person. There's a lot of y'all smiling. We know, we can all think of people like that, can't we? We can all think about that, you know. Good. I don't, you know, ask God to help you to think of one thing that you can be thankful. You know what? This may be really stretching it for some of you. It may be that you could be thankful that this person was brought to your mind by the Holy Spirit because there's something that God wants to do in your life even in praying for this person. Because you see, the real discipline in prayer is not accomplished in our lives through praying for things that are easy. 
The real discipline in our, in our lives is, is developed and established when we are praying for things that are hard. What does the Scripture says? That faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's hard to sometimes pray for those things that in the back of your mind you're fighting the urge to think, well, surely God's not going to answer that prayer. Or that probably never going to have it, but I'm going to go ahead and keep praying for it anyway. No, the faith, of the faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's hard to pray for those things that you may not see yet. It may not see for years. But yet God is still developing something in your life in praying for these needs. So even if you can think of someone that maybe there's really nothing you can be thankful for that person, be thankful for the very fact that God has brought that person to your mind for some reason because God is working in your life. Do you think that Jesus uh, was, w- w- saw everything just perfect in everybody whenever he was praying or giving his life for them? No. It was the love that motivated him and directed him. But he had an attitude of gratitude, thankfulness. To be thankful. Making mention. Now this right here, he's not just casually, it's not the words, it's casually where it's, oh yeah, it just kind of popped in my head and I'm just kind of casually making a mention about it. No, no. Just think of this. Is he is going before the throne of God and for making the case, defending someone and praying for someone and interceding for someone. It's not just a casual mention. See, that's what is the real challenge. And it doesn't mean that our prayer, our prayer times have to take forever. In fact, Jesus said, don't be like the, 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 the pagans just with your idle babbling. You know, our, our praying, it should, be, it should be consistent. It should be uh, a disciplined. But, but it doesn't have to be the same thing every single time. It takes thought. And whenever someone comes to your mind and you're going to mention someone to them... It, it, we have to ask God to help us to not just take it lightheartedly. And it's just a casual, off-the-cuff mentioning of someone's name to the God of the universe. If you're going to mention someone's name, guess what? God's going to be listening. And His attitude is not going to be, uh, oh yeah, yeah, boy, you know, I'm glad you mentioned so-and-so. I'd kind of forgotten about them. No, that's not God's attitude ever. And look what he says, making mention of you in my prayers. If he's praying without ceasing, and he's praying multiple prayers, you get the, the, the idea that Paul's life was characterized by prayer. It was defined by prayer. How do you think Paul was able to go into a city, the city of Lystra, to be, have his message rejected, taken outside the city gates, stoned and left for dead and the people wiped their hands and went back into the city and the, the, his, his, his associates and all are sitting there just, oh my, what has happened here? Paul is dead and then all of a sudden the rocks begin to move and he's not dead and he gets out from under that pile and then what is the first thing he wants to do? He wants to go back into the city. You cannot do that unless your life is characterized by prayer. We have that intimate communication with the Lord. Paul says, I pray without ceasing, I pray with intention, I pray uh, with much thought and consideration, and I pray all the time. Now he specifically says, what? not only is he thankful for the Ephesians, isn't it great to get some little note 
of someone that says, I just want to thank you for something or I just want to let you know how I appreciate this about you. We all need that. Paul says he encourages us to build up one another, to encourage one another. And Paul must have been an excellent encourager as well. But I believe that just came out of the wellspring of his prayer, his prayer life. You see, the Apostle Paul was not the man that he was by just simply having good intentions. It was substantiated through prayer. Let's go to verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the the Father of glory, the Father of glory. Now, this is not showing any kind of separation within the Godhead, the, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory. We know that Jesus referred to Him as, as Father. Remember whenever the disciples asked Him to teach Him how to pray, He said what? He's, it, how did it begin? How does the, the model prayer, we, some, we, we often refer to it as the Lord's Prayer, but how did He start out? Our Father. Notice that He didn't say my Father. And he's teaching him how to pray. Okay, so if we take that as an example and we begin to pray and it's the outline, it's just kind of a, a, a skeleton that it's not meant to be just rote memorization and that's the only pray, prayer that we ever pray. It's a guide, if you will. It was the model prayer of the Savior. But it starts out saying, Our Father. You see, as Christians, we are all in the one family and He's the Father of all of us. And even the Savior didn't start out by saying, My Father. He started out by saying, our Father. The Lord demonstrated, Jesus demonstrated dependence on the Father when He walked here on earth. And He showed us how to live. He modeled for us how to relate to the Father. Yes, He was God. And so, yes, His relationship with the Father was very different than what ours will ever be. But yet, when He walked on earth, He modeled for us how to approach the God of the universe. And that's what's so amazing. Remember whenever he was crucified on the cross, when he finally gave up his spirit, that the, that the, the, the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom, which was symbolic that now we have access into the Holy of Holies, where at one time it was only accessible by just a very few. And with the model prayer, Jesus said, Our Father. To literally go before God and be able to say, my Father, or our Father, to pray. The Father of glory. And in, in the high priestly prayer in John, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus is saying, now I will share this glory with you, the glory that you have given to me, that awaits me. He shares in that glory with the Father. But the glory, or, or the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Father, um, uh, you know, the glory of the Father, remember, is something that human beings can't look at, can't, can't look with our eyes. When Moses said, let me see your glory, the Father said, or, or, or God said, well, no, you, you get in the cleft and I will let you see whatever my hind parts were. That's what kind of God said. But in other words, he couldn't look at him in all of his glory. We see the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is the one that men can interact with him and, and be able to see. And Jesus is the one who said, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. But he says, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, glory of, uh, the Father of glory, that this awesome, powerful, majestic God may give to you a spirit of wisdom, of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, 
a spirit without the definite article. A spirit. In other words, um, it's, it's, it's speaking generically about a characteristic. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Because why would he not say to give you the spirit of wisdom? Who's he writing to? He's writing to the Ephesian church. He's writing to believers. You cannot be a believer unless you have the Holy Spirit within you. Right? The Holy Spirit is the one who seals you under redemption. He's already said in the earlier verses the fact that, uh, that the Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance. So he's not praying that the, that the, the Father will give you the Spirit... Remember when Jesus said, uh, when he was giving a foreshadowing with the, tumming, uh, the coming of the, of the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost, he said, and when he comes, the helper, the counselor, when he comes, he will be with you and will be in you. You see, the Holy Spirit was going to come in a fresh new way to work in believers' lives that he had never worked the same way prior to the, uh, the day of Pentecost. You remember, uh, the Spirit would come upon people. He would come uh, upon kings, like Saul, for instance. The Spirit would come upon him. But then if he rebelled against God or if he sinned against God, the Spirit would then go go from being upon him to kind of being beside him. He He would step away. He didn't dwell in believers in the same way. We have the promise that once he comes to live within you and he takes up residence in you, he will never leave you. Remember, it was something that even David did not experience like we have that privilege of experiencing. Whenever he said in the Psalms, remember when he said, do not remove thy spirit from me. See, that was the working of the Holy Spirit. But Paul was not praying here that that God would give them the spirit. They already had the spirit. He's talking about the spirit of wisdom, characteristic of wisdom, uh, something that they needed. In James... When you talk about wisdom, James, remember the first chapter of James, James 1, 5? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and liberally. That's what he's talking about. And the Apostle Paul is asking that God would give them wisdom. So there's another thing right there that whenever you pray for someone, regardless of whether or not they can tell you, maybe they're going through something in their life where they don't really know how to ask you to pray for them from paul's uh model prayer here another model prayer from paul's prayer you can know how to pray for other believers pray one that they be filled with the holy spirit we see that in in uh, elsewhere in ephesians and also that they would have wisdom now what is wisdom why would he separate out wisdom revelation and the knowledge of him what is wisdom I know, I know a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge. But knowledge is not necessarily wisdom. Wisdom comes with age. Wisdom comes with experience. And I have met a lot of people who were truly wise people who may have only, barely finished high school as far as formal education. So it's not just formal education as well. It's being around the block. Well, what kind of wisdom is Paul talking about here? Well, it's directly connected with revelation and the knowledge of Him. When um, have, have any of you seen um, uh, the movie Expelled with Ben Stein? Any of you see that? That was a great movie. If you haven't seen it, it would be fun to, to get and watch. 
Um, and one of the, 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 my favorite parts of that is whenever he's interviewing uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, Dr. Richard Dawkins at the end of the show. It's a great way to end the, the movie too. You, I won't say anything about it. You just got to go see it, but it's, uh, it's good. Um, anyways, when I was at Oxford, you know, one of the things that I wanted to be able to do is I wanted to see uh, uh, new church, uh, or, I mean a new college, and that's where uh, Dr. Dawkins uh, taught. He's now retired. And um, so, I, you know, walking there and, and, and I wanted to see and they finally pointed out. And so I was taking all kinds of pictures about where he was. And I was trying to figure out, you know, in that scene in the DVD where Ben Stein pulls up, you know, in the taxi. I was trying to figure out where that was, you know, and I was just kind of walking around. And all. But now, Dr. Dawkins, um, a brilliant man, Oxford educated, a professor. I mean, that was the one thing that I was just so amazed and overwhelmed is just the intelligence of that place and the people who are accepted into that i mean you know will i mean his he's off the chart smart you know he's at university uh college there i I mean just walking talking with some of those people you just incredible but so many of them lack wisdom they've got knowledge but they don't have wisdom. And some of them may have earthly wisdom. And maybe they've lived many years of life. But when you talk to them about spiritual things, it's like a cloud goes over their eyes. Extremely knowledgeable, extremely intelligent, but they don't have what Paul was praying specifically for the Ephesians. Number one, that they'd have a spirit of wisdom. Okay, how do I take this that I've learned about God and how do I live it out in my, in, in my life? That's wisdom. Um, I, I found that in my own life. In fact, the lack of wisdom caused me much heartache in, I would say, the majority of my ministry. I had a degree. I felt like I was pretty good at being able to uh, uh, exposit the scriptures and, 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 and teaching Bible study, that sort of thing. But I didn't have wisdom. It's not something that's automatic. Now, at 46... There's some things I've learned. Some things I've learned the hard way. And now I have some wisdom associated with that. Um, for instance, I, can, I know all the things not to say to your wife. <laughs> A lot of wisdom. But even now, daily comes things where if the Holy Spirit does not give me wisdom to know even how to apply God's Word in a given situation, I can still do the wrong thing. Or I will still not know what to do. Because I still have to pray what James says to pray in in chapter 1 verse 5. When I lack wisdom, Lord, give me wisdom because you give pure wisdom without reservation. And revelation. 
revelation. How many of you have ever gone to the Scriptures and you're reading something that maybe you've read dozens of times and all of a sudden you read something like you've never read it before? You ever experienced that? You know what that is? Revelation. That's the Holy Spirit showing you. Because you know what? We, we read a lot and sometimes we're reading like, well, you know what, I'm, 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 on, I'm on course to finish the Bible in a year. Okay, I'll go. You know, okay. So you're reading like that, you know. But when you go through a particular, or you, you may not even be going through anything. Maybe it's just that you have been able to declutter your life for just some short period of time and you're sitting there and you're reading the Word of God and then all of a sudden something jumps out and you're like, wait a minute. I've, and it's not even underlined in your Bible. But there's underline all around it. But all of a sudden there's all you. Wait a minute. I never thought that was important. Look at that. Because that is revelation where God now has just gone boom. And he's giving you spiritual insight to something you never saw before. That's revelation. And Paul was saying, I pray that he'll give you wisdom, insight, regardless of age. But wisdom, spiritual wisdom from above. Because he gives liberally, regardless of how old you are revelation that you will now see and discern and understand and what in the knowledge of him in the knowledge of him you know lewis right here extremely wise and insightful counselor y'all agree with me (laughs) amen oh yeah there you go thank you Sorry, Lou, stay, stay. Sorry, it's okay, buddy. No, no, he is. He's helped dozens of people. He's got a degree. He's got two degrees from seminary. But you know what he's got to do? He's got to take continuing education. It's required for his license. A CPA who's doing it for years, but in order to hold on to the license, they've got to take continuing education. You know, from the world we can look and say and learn a very key spiritual principle that, lo and behold, is taught right there in the Bible. You never arrive. And you never know God. You're always on your journey to knowing God. And He is so magnificent. He is so awesome. He is so huge. He is so glorious. He is so majestic that you will spend your entire life getting to know Him. I am learning and getting to know Him in ways I've never known Him before. And when you come into that, you say, I never would want to go back to where I was before. But before you become comfortable where you are saying, wow, I know him so much more deeply now. You have to understand that there's going to come a day that you stay on this journey. And as as you continue with that discipline of knowing him, seeking him and, and basically coming as if you don't know anything about him, that the day's going to come to where you look back at this point and say, wow, how little I knew about him. And I'd never know want to go back to there it's a lifelong journey and paul said one of the things that he was praying is that they'd have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him he was praying that they would have a deeper knowledge every day of god because what happens is that's when that comes back to bring increased revelation and that brings greater wisdom it's all connected so let's stop for just a second 
As you're praying for someone, even if you say, hey, how can I pray for you? Oh, you know what? Uh, we're, getting, we're trying to get our house refinanced. Oh, okay, well, I'll pray for you over that. Okay, yeah, the process is kind of bogging down. It's kind of frustrating. We're all kind of frustrated. Kind of, you know, okay, I'll pray for you that. I'll pray for patience there, okay? Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? There's a whole list, nine things that you can pray for people right there. That's also from the Apostle Paul. And then you look right here, and he's giving you more instructions. So even if you pray for the, the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives, you pray that they be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then what have we learned just so far? That you pray for their wisdom, you pray for increased revelation, and you pray for a deeper knowledge of God. You see, even if you pray for specific biblical things, like right here is outlined for us, that will take care of the, a lot of the little nitpicky things that sometimes we want to pray for people. You pray for those things, it will take care of, it will shove out, though, if God begins to work in their life that way, it will shove out all those deeds of the flesh as we pray for those things. Now, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, the deepest part of the person, the sum total of the person himself. I pray for the heart, the inner man. Okay? May be enlightened. What, how, how is the Scripture referred to Jesus Christ? He is the what? The light of the world. He is the enlightener. That your heart may be enlightened so that you may know, know, knowledge experiential knowledge not just head knowledge but experiential knowledge what is the hope of his calling what is the hope of his calling first thessalonians four thirteen. the apostle paul let's see if i have that marked i hope i do first uh, thessalonians four thirteen, where paul is talking about um in verse well let me just go ahead and read it but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep or who have died, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. In our recent campaign, that was a theme, right? Hope. Change. Hope. Where's our hope? Now, where do you place your hope? Where do we find hope? And the Apostle Paul is saying, look... Christians should be some of the most hopeful people in the world. Even the Apostle Paul, when, he, when he's talking about those loved ones who've died, he said, look, I want to tell you that those who died in Christ, I want to tell you where they are because I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. Yesterday I, I, I did a, 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 or participated in a funeral for James Haygood. Great man. We lost, we lost three good men, men this week here at Champion or this last week at Champion Forest. But it was doing this funeral. But you know what? In the midst of that, there was laughter, there was smiles, there was joy because they had hope. I remember one time I did a funeral for someone when they... Um, <laughs> this was the hardest one I ever did. Uh, but uh, it was a man who committed suicide. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry. No, no, no. He was, a, he was an agnostic. He was an atheist agnostic. They didn't really know which one he was, but he, just, he was very open about his not believing in God. He was a brilliant individual, 
and he died suddenly of a heart attack. And then his wife, they didn't go to church anywhere, obviously. His wife had wanted to start going to church. They lived in a neighborhood right across from the church that I was pastoring at the time. Well, she'd not know what to do. She just called the, the, the little church that she knew was right there on FM 359. And so she contacted us. I went over there, and uh, they were just taking the body out. She was distraught. Um, and then, then she wanted me to go to go get her 17-year-old son at high school who did not know yet and to go and so we were all in that that situation uh, the son was very very affected by his father uh he was very extremely quiet wouldn't even hardly make contact with you and all and i was just so burdened for this family but the mother had wanted to start going to church and know more about god and start studying his word but just did not have the support in fact it was kind of antagonized uh by her husband well when i went to they asked me to do the funeral they had no other pastor do it and so uh, i said well yeah i'll be glad to to do that for you i show up for the the day of the funeral and of course his body had been cremated and his sister from out of town came up to me and one of the first things she said she says now when you start talking i please don't talk about heaven and jesus and i said ma'am i can assure you that i will handle it discreetly and when I talk about from the Bible what God's Word says, I will not be constantly referring back, you know, to the gentleman. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to put him where I don't know where he is. I'm not. It's like I'm, we're going to say here are some of the good things about this man, and I'm going to leave it at that. And then when we come to God's Word, that's going to be a separate issue. But I said, I have to say something about Jesus, and I have to say something about heaven. And if you you insist that I can't, then you're going to need to get one of the funeral directors to do it because I'm not going to do it. Well, okay, we're just, you know. So I did. Why? Because at a time like that is when people are most mindful of where am I going to go when I stop breathing? And I have to tell them because that's where hope is found. And that's where our hope is found in the calling. So finally, come on down here to verse 19 and we'll wrap it up. What is the surpassing greatness of his power? So, see, we have right here, we have three things that Paul uh, brought out. Um, number one, right up here, going back up to verse 18. Is that, is that up there, verse 18? Uh, the th- uh, three specific things he prayed for. Number one, the hope of his calling. And what are uh, the, uh, the riches of his glory? These things that he prayed that they would understand. The riches of his glory, two, number two. And then, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power? Number three. The surpassing, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now, when we look, what kind of power are we talking about? What kind of power does God have? He had the power to speak the world into existence. Secondly, he had the power to raise Jesus from the dead. That is awesome power. The power toward us, toward us who believe. And what are the benefits of those who believe? Romans Romans 8.28 what does Romans 8.28 say? That, yes, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Is the promise there for people who don't know Christ? Does, does the promise say that God causes all things to work together for everybody? He says God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Those people who have the the desire to do God's will and to know God's purposes, He gives them and He works out the circumstances. Even when maybe our heart was in the right place, but we mess things up, 
because of poor decisions, whatever, when, when we come to the Lord in repentance, when we come the, to the Lord in submission and trust, then He works those things for good. That's the promise that we have. There's a, a practical way that we see the surpassing greatness of His power to be able to take messes and turn them into good toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of His strength and might. Look what He says. Power, strength, and might. All-powerful, all-knowing, all places, everywhere at one time, this magnificent God. So, as we finish here and we break down this prayer, these first few, uh, these, 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 fir, or these very few verses where Paul says to the Ephesians, hey, this is how I've been praying for you. Let's think about some of those as we wrap this up. Praying for their wisdom, praying for their revelation, praying for a deeper knowledge of God. Later in Ephesians, he says uh, that be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We, pray, we can pray that God's power, that God, that they will not only understand the power that is available to them, not for selfish gain, but the power that's available to them from the Savior, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, is the one who lives in them. What is, uh, Paul says, greater is he that's within you than he who's in the world. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength or strengthens me. So over and over again, Paul is saying, look, there is this power in Christ. Walk in it. Walk in it. Don't walk in defeat, but walk in victory. So as we finish, these are the ways that we can pray for people that it's not just a casual hey i'll pray for you but now we've seen where paul gives us very specific things that we can pray for people i pray that our prayer life prayer lives will be different from here on out that at least the holy spirit will use that in our lives that when we begin to pray for some people even today that we'll right away think rather than speaking generally we'll go back and we'll literally pray god's word over people you see that is an untapped resource that we have is to pray god's word because you know what because that was written in his word we know that god is not going to have any problem with that whatsoever yes when somebody is in sin open rebellion against god yes pray oh god convict them move them away from this but when you pray these things, it will take care of a lot of those other things that we need to try to think up as we pray for people. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Thank you all again. Father, I pray for the filling of your Holy Spirit in my life and in the people's lives in this room. Because, Lord, when we have a deeper knowledge of you, when we have greater revelation from your word, when we have wisdom from above that is not just from experience. And Lord, when we realize that the very one who spoke this world into existence, who is all-powerful, resides within us, O oh Lord, may we pray according to Your will. May we pray to see Your purposes accomplished. May we pray and see your will be done. And above all, that you will be lifted up and that you will be glorified. Thank you, Lord, for this class. Thank you, Lord, for Mark. 
Thank you for how He teaches them. Thank you for the knowledge that these people have. Lord, I pray that you will use their knowledge in a powerful way to not influence just households or just neighborhoods. But Lord, we pray that you will use the knowledge for your glory that's even in this room to literally change a nation. And we ask that we'll be more mindful of praying with purpose. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.